Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guests are Heart Research Associate CEO Fred Yang and the leading principal of GBAO Strategies, Jim Gerstein, two of the very best pollsters. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicsworldroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. Now, I'm going to get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to our sponsors, Henson Shaving and Z-Biotics in our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors because it really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, James, we have two of the greatest public opinion experts in the universe with us uh, today, Fred Yang and Jim Gerstein. Now, we're going to ask you to uh, a bunch of questions because we have to draw on your expertise about 2024, and then we'll just have a free-for-all, uh, maybe even bring the raging Cajun uh, out of his shell. But let me just start off with you, Fred. Uh, seven, uh, last June, I did a column with your boss, your one-time boss, Peter Hart, who made the point looking at the legendary Wall Street Journal NBC New Polls that 17 months out, things always change in a big way. That's a more mixed uh, record uh, a year out of 11 months out. And last two presidential elections, they certainly changed a lot. 2012, not at all. As you look at this terrain right now, do you expect there'll be huge changes between now and November? Do you think we're pretty much baked in? I um, am going to give you, and first of all, um, I'm, I'm honored to be on with you and James. Uh, uh, long time listener, first time caller. But no, this is this is terrific. I'm, I'm, I'm going to enjoy talking to both of you and also talking with Jim. So I'm going to give you a pollster answer. I think um, I think it depends. I think number one, fundamentally, I think this electorate and election is basically baked in. OK, so to use a football analogy, I think this election will be between like the 45 yard lines of both teams. OK, look, there's going to be ebbs and flows, I believe, in the in the next year. Um, maybe the Republicans have the advantage um, sometimes. Um, maybe the Democrats um, have the advantage. But um, look, I think if you go back to the, the 21st century presidential elections, other than 2008, these have been very closely contested because I think we're a closely contested country. And um, I, I, I think that, um, you know, a year from now or less than a year from now, we're going to see a another close election like 2020 was, like 2016 was. And the one thing I want to say before um, Jim answers is um, we're both pollsters. Um, I think both of our firms do a very good job, um, but there are also, um, I think, limitations to polling. And um, James and I were talking right before the start about the Kentucky governor's race, um, where um, I was a pollster for Governor Bashir. And I'll never forget um, that the weekend before the election, um, 
a public opinion poll from a um, university. Um, I looked I looked them up. They had an A minus rating um, from 538 polls. They came out with a poll literally Friday before the Tuesday election that had Andy Bashir down by one point and he won by five. So even that poll four days before the election was off, I think we have a lifetime between now and November. Jim Gerstein. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It, ten mo- the election's 10 months from now. 10 months ago, Kevin McCarthy was the Speaker of the House. George Santos was recently elected. Uh, and, and Ron DeSantis had the, you know, was the clear front runner to replace Donald Trump in the Republican Party. So, you know, a lot can happen in 10 months. And I'd say a lot needs to happen in 10 months. Uh, because right now, the, it, you know, we're, you look at where things are, and, and as Fred said, a lot of things are baked in. Uh, the Right now, you know, all the public polls show, show Biden down. Uh, and down, down in important states. Um, but I think that there is plenty of time to change the fundamental dynamics that are, um, are hurting Biden or holding him back right now. Um, some of these things I think are out of our control, like how well the economy is going to be doing, though right now we see a lot of good macroeconomic indicators, uh, whether it's inflation, stock market, people's savings and, and, and retirements are better today than, than they have been in a while. Um, but they don't feel it right now. And that's a real problem. Um, but will that change? That's a little bit out of our control. Campaigns will matter. I think what, it, uh, the other thing that's out of our control is whether there's a conviction. For Donald Trump, if you look at the uh, Wall Street Journal poll, which uh, my partner Mike Bosian is the Democratic pollster on that, he, you know, we're, we're losing in the, Dem- in the Wall Street Journal poll, but when Biden, if you ask people what happens under conviction, Biden moves ahead of Trump. And I think that that kind of adds a third party validator to the crimes uh, that Trump has committed, being tried by uh, a jury of his peers. Uh, he may not consider them his peers, and I wouldn't want to bring him down to the public and say that he's their peer, but that, that that's what a trial is. Well, Jim, let me pick up on that with you and with with Fred. There were other things that we thought would be lethal for him, going back to Access Hollywood uh, and criticizing John McCain as a non-hero, uh, Charlottesville, uh, what he did uh, last January, and it hadn't much mattered. You think a conviction would be different? I do think a conviction is different. Um, I think it it sends uh, it again. It's a third party validator of the of the public validation um, of a jury. But again, the, the, again, those that are out of our control. What is what is in our control? I think is a bit of what we try to make this election about. And and I think I'll come back to it. And for for you know James and Al, you know I'm a broken record on this, but I think it comes back to abortion. And that we need to make abortion and abortion rights. Uh, we need the public, and especially in key states where they don't feel it under threat, they need to understand the threat that is to their abortion rights, so that when they go to vote, that they that this is at top of mind, and that they see uh, a Republican victory at the presidency and down the ballot as taking away your abortion rights. And we've seen. The effect of that and the effectiveness of that uh, throughout 2022 and in 2023, um, and I think that is something that is in our control and that we do really, uh, 
is a necessary condition for changing the dynamic that's in the race right now. We're going to get back to abortion in this discussion, but Fred, let me get you to pick up on the question of a conviction. Do you think it would make a difference? Um, I do. Um, I, I don't. Um, and I think, um, Jim, I think, I think you agree, right, that um, there's going to be swings back and forth, right? This is like an NBA basketball game. Sorry for all the sports analogies, but I think um, yeah, Jim, because Bernstein wants to talk about the Michigan football game, but go ahead with basketball. <laughs> uh, I mean, but Jim, this is—I mean, it's—it's it's kind of baked in, right? It's a kind of a fifty-fifty um, um, country, um, and I think um, even if the conviction, Al, you know, in the typical, uh, you know, pollster language, even if the major and somewhat major concerns is only forty percent, let's say. It depends who that 40% is with. And look, um, I know we're going to talk about abortion, um, but in Kentucky, um, abortion, I believe, helped Governor Bashir win because even if it didn't get us many crossover Republican votes, it did stop the Republicans from gaining, um, you know, with Republican or independent. So so going back to the convention, conviction, yes, I think it matters because it's going to matter at some level. And in races that are so close, Pennsylvania, um, Wisconsin, Nevada, New Hampshire. I think something that, you know, Jim and I, you know, in our polls would kind of poo-poo at the bottom. Um, those can make big differences, um, you know, with important subgroups. So, yeah, I think, um, look, Al and James, the other thing is um, a lot of this is about language and about, you know, branding. I just think Donald Trump, former, convict, former president convicted criminal, I think that's going to matter. James Carville, jump in. So, uh, uh, Brad, I'll, I'll start with you. I kind of, that's my, my first real campaign. It was, it was 1979, actually, Peter Hart was a poster. If you had a physical in 1979, they would check your blood pressure, they would weigh you, they would check your blood rate, the pulse rate. If you go in in 2024, they're going to do the th three same things. A poll's going to say, well, let's get direction right direction, wrong direction, let's get favorability ratio, let's get issue terrain. That didn't change. Everybody's got creative things and we do split samples and we do a combination of, of, of cell phone and internet, not every kind of reform shit that's gone. But the basic blood pressure, pulse rate, weight number still carries a lot, quote, carries a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. I gotta tell you, in my lifetime, these numbers are really shitty. I, I mean, I mean, not they're not bad. They're really bad. And, and just give me something. But as you in, in, in Jim, of course, I'm, I want y'all to view this more as a conversation, as a question to jump in too. The, 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 our numbers among voters under 30 and blacks are sickening. They're, they're, they're not like there's a lot of work to do here. They like make you go outside and throw up. I am I if there's something I'm missing because you know I've been reading polls for a long time and it, these don't strike me as very good. <laughs> um. Wow. Well. Um, there are a lot of different, there are a lot of different threads in that uh, in that one riff, James. A um, couple of quick things, and obviously I want I want my colleague uh, Jim to jump in. Look, um, you and and at first I thought, James, when you said um, you and Peter worked in a race in 79, I was wondering if it was 1879, 
Just kidding. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Hart would have been half of that one. Boy, I just, I'll tell you something. Wait till Peter Hart hears that, Fred. He's going to regret making you CEO. <laughs> <laughs> so, so bear with me. So in 1979, um, you know, one of the questions that was one of those um, uh, basic measurements, James and Al, was a reelect question, right? Like, you're going to reelect Joe Biden or not? And back in the back in those days, um, and I remember uh, listening to Peter, drone on and on. No, no, listening to Peter uh, with exquisite attention. You know, like if you were below fifty percent reelect, you were in deep trouble, right? And then through the eighties, nineties, and two thousands, that number where you were dead dropped. I mean, I, I, we I reelected someone with the twenty five percent reelect. As to now, in a lot of polls, we're not even asking that question anymore because it's not relevant in. 21st century America. So I think the right direction, wrong track question. I think it's an important question. Um, I know, Jim, we ask it in all of our polls. I do question now if that, how relevant, I don't know if that question is as relevant now to elections as it was 20, 30 years ago, because I think um, questions are timeless, right? People have been asking right direction, wrong track since polling was invented. But I think um, how people answer and the circumstances have changed. So, for example, James, I know we're very close to the Bashir people, um, and 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 Governor Bashir will back this up. He banned me from asking right direction, wrong track in any of his polls. As he said, Jim, it's everyone's going to say it's crappy, okay? And I think the same thing, James. And then I'll let Jim jump in with with the approval rating, right? Um, couple of the time-tested things, I'm looking at the polling my firm does with POS um, for NBC News, you know, uh, the, uh, is the approval rating of the incumbent, okay? Um, Joe Biden's is really bad. But I would, I would argue, James um, and Al, that um, the days of 60% approval ratings or 55 are over, given how polarized this country is. So um, historically, um, the numbers now for Democrats um, are not great. But um, I, I do, I do think um, James, um, some of the landscape has tilted, where um, you know some numbers um, that would have been bad 30 years ago um, are are bad, but um, they, I don't think they're as meaningful now in terms of election outcome as they used to be. Um, Pick up Jim, on that, Jim Gerstein, and then back to to James. Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot of the basic measures are very disturbing, as as James points out, um, and. It's been a while since I've gotten a poll and I get a look at it. And I'm like in a good mood right away. Um, it's, it's been quite some time, but uh, except on election nights when we're winning some some important races. Uh, and I think that. I think we're, uh, the what Fred points out with the how evenly divided the country is, you take that plus how unpopular both presidential candidates are that shakes things up in a way, uh, but also creates a problem for us with all these third party and fourth and fifth party candidates. And and because that gives these these voters who should where we are underperforming, as James points out, younger voters, black voters, Hispanic voters, where we're underperforming, giving them that additional option to take away the the forced choice of of Biden and the, the the Trump who they hate more, this this is this should be cause for a real heartburn for everybody. Um, I do think that um, we we do yeah we clearly need to 
get back the, uh, the, those young voters, increase the turnout, and uh, as well as improve our performance with black voters and Hispanic voters. These are real issues. Um, it's going to be hard. A lot of that centers on age, though I will point out something that we're seeing in the data that uh, I was just talking with my colleagues and I'm curious if Fred's seeing the same thing, but we're act- Biden's doing a little better with older voters than you may expect, given how he's slipping across the board on other, uh, you know, with other key constituencies. Um, and so, yeah, this isn't going to, this isn't just only about age, but, but there is, he is, you know, he's losing in the public polls right now. I'm not sugarcoating it at all. We've got to change the dynamic here, but there, there, the, this is an evenly divided electorate. Small things will make a difference. Everything along the way is going to make a difference. Um, and that, you know, the conviction could be, you go back to who's going to make the decisive difference in this election, independent voters who swing that conviction, if there is one, can move, uh, I think can be the validation that they need, that they just cannot have a convicted guy become president again. Uh, but also I come back to the abortion. I think that transcends, that covers all of these uh, challenges that we have with turnout, with performance, with young voters, with Hispanic and black voters um, in ways that help remove the, the, help sharpen the importance of this election that people don't throw their votes to these uh, third, fourth, fifth party candidates. James Carpo, jump in. No, I'll go back. So, so, let me go back and and back in the early nineties, Clayton Williams and Richard running, and people say historical because both candidates had a negative over fifty. Well, shit, we ain't had an election since there where both candidates didn't have a negative over fifty. But again, Fred and Jim, you time, what worries the crap out of me? We ain't doing worth the shit with voters under thirty. I mean, that's supposed to be. In, I, I just an old rule, and I think Peter talked to me. It has to add up to a hundred on election day. It's, it's not going to be forty-seven and a half to forty-seven and a half. We know that. All right. So if under thirty is supposed to be seventeen percent of the electorate, it comes in at sixteen or fifteen and a half. Or if blacks are supposed to be twelve, and the black numbers are, are awful. Oh no, James, we're going to get ninety-three at the end of the day. Maybe we do. Historically, we do. There's not much evidence that we're on track for that. So b- blacks are supposed to be 12%. They come in at 11. Guess what? They got to make up those other points somewhere else in the election. You can't, it doesn't add up to, to 94 on election day. And what, in, we have got to do better with younger voters and non-white voters, particularly black voters. It, 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 can I get an amen on that? Uh, amen. Amen. A billion amen. times. Yeah. <laughs> amen. How do you say amen in Hebrew, Gerstein? Amen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, James. Hey, James, this is a quick interruption. Why is, Fred, why is Fred Yang, a Stanford man, wearing a Cal uh, sweatshirt? Oh, uh, because my middle daughter goes to Cal. Oh, all right. <laughs> And, and, and as long as we're taking, as long as we're having this detour, uh, Jim Gerstein, you didn't like that football game the other day very much, did you? I'll tell you, I I grew up in outside of Chicago, and I did not like the University of Michigan. Was, but it turns out that when 
you start spending tens of thousands of dollars to send your child somewhere. You suddenly <laughs> like that. You like that institution a lot. Uh, and it's been very exciting. Uh, super happy for him and, and all. It was an amazing game. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think the college football playoff committee is pretty happy with the way things turned out. Um, hey, Jim, um, Al took us off course. I, I, I was rooting for Michigan because um, I have friends. Um, you know, um, I really thought they were done after the third quarter when they couldn't move the ball at all. And then the, then the guy missed the field goal. I mean, I, I, I mean I, I'll defer to James a little bit on NCAA expertise, but I think Michigan looks really good. And the game was close because they just made some really bad mistakes. And obviously Alabama played great in the second half. But uh, you got to catch punts and you got to make extra points. Um, and, but they looked as good as they have all season, and, and as far as I could tell. Alabama was good. All right, James, do we want to go back to the secondary issue of politics? Uh, I want to go back. You're talking about Stanford and Cal. The authoritative book on Stanford Cal was written by Tyler Bridges, who's the oh, lead yeah. political reporter for the Times Picayune advocate in Louisiana, and he was in the Stanford band. Oh. And he wrote that. the entire TikTok. Of, <laughs> and he actually, I, I think, was it actually graduated the year before and was watching on TV the most searing memory that you can imagine that mm-hmm. anyone can have. And, and the book is like 50 trombones and a touchdown. I forget the exact. And Tyler has been on this podcast. That's awesome. Painful. This is painful for Fred. James. Well, it's too bad they didn't have um, um, video review. without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit All right, guys, let's get back to politics. Go ahead, James. So how much of a differential are y'all seeing around in Congressional, Senate, the gubernatorial campaign, and their numbers in the president's numbers? Are are, are people still kind of picking and choosing, or or what what kind of differential are y'all seeing? Jim, want to go ahead? You go first, Jim. Uh, fortunately for Democratic candidates, I think we're seeing a differential that's benefiting the, the down ballot folks. Um, they're now obviously each case is unique, uh, and it's going to depend on the, right. the, the, the standing of the candidate. But, uh, I, it's not that people, yeah, p- people, we have a lot of good candidates out there and they stand out and they're doing well. And, and I know Alan, James, you've talked about this a lot in terms of how great the Democratic 
bench is. I mean, it, it's every, it's really out there uh, and it's, and it's there. And I'll point, yeah, you look at the recent victories. I mean, Andy Bashir winning in Kentucky. That's a, you know, that's a, yeah, I, I don't think Joe Biden's going to win in Kentucky. Um, the, I will say we have an upcoming race that's going to, that's actually a pretty good test of things. And full disclosure, our, our company's working on it. My partner is uh, Swazi's um, pollster. This, this is, is this, this is, is this is the the uh, New York three, I think it is for the uh, for the seat of George uh, Santos. Exactly, and this is a seat that Biden won and Kathy Hochul lost, and it, and so it, it, there is swing in here. Now Swazi is a he's a moderate Democrat. He's popular. He's he's a uh, he's a strong, good candidate. Uh, he this is I think going to be direct evidence, James, as to how strong we can do down ballot um, compared to you know, if, if we're if, if we're struggling at the top of the ticket. James, I'm going to be watching that. Jim, I'm going to be watching that one carefully because my son's working for the candidate next door. So please win that race. Will you? Oh. Let, let, James, let me just turn for a second to Fred Yang to pick up on on Jim's point about abortion. Um, two, two, two things that fascinate me here. One is Florida. Uh, they're trying to get it on the ballot there. Now, I don't think if they get it on the ballot there that Biden's going to win Florida. Uh, but it is going to go, and I would think help Democrats a little bit, particularly down ticket with turnout, maybe even make that Senate race closer. James keeps telling me that terrible Democratic Party is getting better. This is the test. Can they get that on the ballot? And the second thing is the Supreme Court. If they were to have any kind of a ban on the abortion pill, do you think that would energize voters the way the Dobbs decision did? To point out, Al, the Fifth Circuit uh, unanimously upheld that crazy judge on banning Mifflin this morning, I'm told. Yeah. And that will, that, 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 Fred, you go ahead, but I don't, I think we, I, I'm not too disappointed on a political basis. Right. So, um, I think that what could have been a tough midterm for us in 22, and it wasn't uniform because there's some places where we didn't perform as well, like upstate New York. But in general, it was a better than expected cycle for us. And I think, Jim, you'd agree it was the Dobbs decision, right? That sort of flipped the switch for us. Okay. So um, I did a special election in January of 2023 for a state Senate race in Virginia. Okay, special election, state senate race. Um, you, you think you go, you think I'm um, okay. The voters spoke in November. They maybe they exorcise the Dobbs demon, and now we're going to go back to a normal election. The and this was a actually a Trump Senate district. He had Trump had won the state senate district. The number one issue in that election, in our polling, was abortion, and the Democrat won that race. So, and, and, and in Kentucky and in other races I've worked on, and I'm sure Jim has worked on, um, the only thing I would question about your premise, Al, is I, I don't think, um, I don't think um, reproductive freedom voters or pro-abortion rights voters, I don't think um, their intensity has diminished at all. It is still um, white hot. And it's interesting. Um, it's kind of one of these things where, um, Jim, um, it, it kind of felt like uh, Democrats were like a Charlie Brown in the football. We would always talk about abortion, right? They're going to do this. They're going to do this. And it didn't quite work out that well. Um, but then Dobbs happened. And I can't tell you, Al, 
um, you know, you learn these simple lessons over and over again. There is nothing as clarifying or as angering as something that's been taken away from you. And in states as the ver uh, like Pennsylvania or Nevada, you know, I'm working for Senator Casey in Pennsylvania and Nevada in 22, I worked for Catherine Cortez Masto. Those are both states in which when Roe was overturned, their state's constitution kicked in and abortion rights was, um, was codified in their states. I explained this to people in focus groups. They didn't care that abortion was guaranteed to be legal in Nevada because they said if they can do, if the U.S. Supreme Court can ban abortion, they can do it anywhere. So um, I think, um, and, and Jim started this um, off, I think um, abortion um, it will continue um, to be a white hot issue. I agree with Jim. I think it's going to be um, probably, if not the, at least uh, one of the two or three issues that will reelect President Biden. And I think um, every time Republicans talk about abortion now, even Youngkin, you know, I did the Virginia State Senate races last year when he talked about the 15 week ban. I, I thought at first, guys, this was going to be a clever way um, for Republicans to be both pro-choice. Right. You're, you're for abortion till 15 weeks and to be pro-life because um, you're, you're going to ban it except for rape, incest, life and weather after 15 weeks. It didn't work out that way. Because like um, there are certain biases about Democrats, we're this or we're that. There are certain biases about Republicans that they want to ban abortion. And I think Republican candidates, even just talking about a 15-week ban, makes it even more um, likely that you know they're just playing into the type, which is they want to ban abortion. So I think this is a bad issue for them. Um, good luck to them and how they're going to sort of re-talk about it. Um, and I think all these other things you're talking about, Al, just adds fuel to a fire that's already raging pretty intensely. So, uh, Jim, uh, Fred, uh, you know, when I, I remember when I was old, you guys were the coming young polling stars in the party. To, and now, fuck, y'all old, too. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we've been around this abortion issue, uh, both of you have. If somebody would have said in the 90s, I'm for abortion being legal through 15 weeks with the exception after that, you took the pro-choice position. The, actually, the Roe decision was the first trimester. Okay, the first trimester is 12 weeks. And so Yunkin and Marge Dufenhauser, or whatever her name is, at the, at the right, they're endorsing which was the pro-choice position. Uh, and people I thought it was viability, James. I thought it was viability. Yeah, five, but but whatever, it's viability. But the, 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 the Blackman got the Mayo Clinic. He was the lawyer. But get not get into the to the weeds of it. But basically, there were certain rules after the first trimester. In ninety five percent of the abortions, I think I'm right on this, are performed prior to 15, 15 weeks. They threw in towel. They just literally threw the towel in. And no one, it's like, wait, you quit. And it would send out all of these, God, of the Catholic, and go to Mass on Sunday, be screaming about, you know, putting fetuses in formaldehyde and murderers and throwing blood on freaking people. And they just quit. It was like the 15th round in the thrill of Manila. It just didn't come out. 
you know, I, 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 that's how much we're winning this issue. It might, yeah, I'm missing something here. <laughs> I don't think you're missing anything. And it just comes back to, comes back to whether people feel it's a threat and the Supreme court decision, if they're going to, ban the abortion pill or make it harder for people to get. I mean, anything that refocuses voters' attention on this is uh, is critical for for our our chances and because there are sta- there are places where people do feel you know you can uh, that oh it's not going to happen here. They think it's threatened nationally, but in their home state where they live, there there are swing states where where that's. Uh, where we need to remind them that it's at stake. Uh, and I think, look, you look at what just happened in Texas with this woman who wanted to have a baby and was, but this was a case of saving her life and her, and her ability to have future children. Uh, people don't like, they just don't want the government telling them they cannot do that. And, and that, I think, uh, this isn't somebody who was running around saying, Abortion, yeah, I, I want abortion on demand. I, this was somebody who had a real health concern, and because of, you know, the Texas Attorney General could not do it where she lived, and it had to get out of there to do it. And we have an important Senate race there, and we've got an amazing candidate in Colin Allred, and and it's not like Ted Cruz is a likable guy. So right. and, and, really. <laughs> Last I checked, he still is a bit of, well. <laughs> so, Jim, I'm, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you and ask you yeah. a question. So Colin Alred says, Jim, how do I talk about the border? And then after you do that, I've read the same thing. One of your clients, all right. I, so it's coming up in a debate. I'm going to be asked about the southern border. What the fuck do I say? So what, what are you going to tell? What's your counsel to Colin and his campaign about what they say? I mean, I'll, I'm going to have to defer to my partner who's working on it for Colin. Oh, but uh, more, broadly, more, more broadly, more broadly, I will say that you have to take this as a serious crisis, that people that, that uh, you have to recognize that we don't have the infrastructure to absorb, uh, 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 absorb all the folks that are coming over the border and that we need to have the, that immigration is a good thing. You cannot be hostile towards immigration. Americans like immigration. They want, uh, they, they, they recognize the value and benefits that our country has. Most people here are immigrants or have come from somewhere other than the Mayflower. And they want, but, but they also see, and this includes among Hispanic voters, they, they do see a crisis uh, of not being able to absorb uh, people coming to the country and that we need to be, yeah, voters need to be need to see their candidates recognize the crisis and taking common sense positions on it, not ideological in one way or the other that don't recognize this as a problem, but also don't recognize the humanity that that is. So, so Fred, I'm looking at you. I don't think your ancestors came across on the Mayflower. So how? <laughs> How, how, would you, going on Jim's advice, is there anything that you would add, subtract, supplement, uh, uh, anything? Um, no, uh, no, I, I just, just supplement. I think, um, obviously, for someone like Congressman Alred, he has to give a slightly, he has to give an answer that reflects that he's a congressman, okay? So, um, 
some of the clients I'm working for are challengers, right? So I think um, what some of them are doing, and, and the bones of what Jim suggests is totally right. The thing we've been telling our challengers, and remember, it's a challenger versus an incumbent, is to be more anti-Washington and to sort of say, look, um, there have been various times where there's been bipartisan agreement. Um, we wouldn't have this problem if the Republicans, for example, hadn't torpedoed the you know immigration reform 10 years ago, that if we had passed it, we wouldn't have these problems. So um, again, I think um, we're, we, we're not anti-immigrant. Um, we, we're for, um, we, this is America. We want people to come here, but they have to um, follow, um, follow the rules. And we actually had a system in place where people could follow the rules, except the Republicans, um, because of how extreme they were, um, they're the ones who stopped. All right, Albert. Yeah, all right, James uh, Gerstein, uh, your expertise on Israel is almost as uh, impressive as your expertise on American politics. You've had relations over there. Let me ask you this. If the, do you think the Israel-Hamas uh, war will continue for months well into the summer? And if so, how much does that hurt Biden? I mean, geez, uh, for the humanitarian purpose of this all, obviously we want this to end uh, soon. We want the hostages home in Israel. We want the Palestinians and uh, the civilians in Gaza to get their lives back. It's an awful situation for everybody. and We want it to end uh, soon in terms of the and I think the intensity of it is likely to uh, wane soon. Uh, Israel has started withdrawing some troops, whether that's a temporary thing or not, um, remains to be seen. The pressure in the country is is such that they're very focused on the hostages in a way that the government is, has not been. And I'm hoping that that moves things forward. But um, politically speaking, I think that the kind of media, the, the political narrative of this is a little distorted from the reality of where voters are. Um, I think that, first of all, Americans can hold multiple positions at the same time, and they should. And they, they can feel, they do feel, and all the polling that we've done that we've seen, they feel sympathy for the Israelis and what's happened to them. And they feel sympathy for the Palestinians and you can feel sympathy for both. And it's, uh, they, to the extent that they choose one side over the over, other slightly more for the, the Israelis depends on the age and, and some of the breakdowns. But the, uh, but Americans, think that uh, they do think that Israel is justified in its response. They feel that, but they feel sympathy for both sides. I don't think uh, that's really the story that's been told. Uh, uh, and specifically when it comes to the political effects for Biden, you would think that this issue is the reason he's in trouble based on some of the coverage out there. And I'll just say he was struggling with young voters well before October 7th, and that this is, yeah, this is, young voters are uh, are the ones who are um, more sympathetic to the Palestinians, uh, though they do, they are also sympathetic to the Israelis. But they just think that we could be doing more to help the Palestinians. And the, but this isn't the issue that's affecting how they view Biden overall. It's just another piece that's added on to a, uh, a chaotic narrative out there that's tough for an incumbent president. Um, 
so I, I think it's important to recognize that discrepancy between kind of the the, the political conventional narrative that's out there versus the the complexity that Americans do bring to uh, in their understanding of the issue. Fred, pick up on that if you if you wish. But also, um, is there any doubt in your mind that third party candidates, whether it's uh, uh, no labels or Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or the others, are going to hurt the Democrats more than the Republicans? Um, you know, I think, number one, it, uh, it depends ultimately uh, of which third party candidates we're talking about. You know, um, I guess the limited data I've seen would suggest it probably is a net loss for President Biden over Trump, but it's not decisive. But look, I'm, you know, um, playing along with Jim's very good point about how the coverage um, is um, uh, disengaged from reality. I just read today that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. made his first state, Utah. So when people talk about third party candidates, yes, they could be a threat. But um, I don't know um, how many states Robert F. Kennedy Jr. will actually be on the ballot as an independent candidate. You know, like James, you know, I'm working for um, Senator Casey. So being, you know, paying a lot of attention to Pennsylvania, it is dang hard to make the ballot in Pennsylvania um, other than being a part of the political party. So um, I think, um, Al, to answer your question more directly, in a theoretical sense, Third party or fourth party, fifth party candidates absolutely could shake things up because, as Jim and I said at the beginning, um, um, even if something makes a little difference, it could have a profound impact on the outcome. But I think we have it's it's too early to tell because I would want to know which third party candidates are we talking about and who will make the ballot. Mm-hmm. Well, Fred, uh, uh, by the way, my ancestors were known to Mayflower. We came from Nova Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I want to go back because I, I think Al asked a provocative question about the, the third parties. And this is, Perot get 19% snuck up on us. We, I, I, I'm not going to tell you we saw this coming. And we saw 10, 11% coming. We did not. And it turned yeah, out. But James, James, let me interrupt. But there were polls sure, go ahead. In, in the first Perot, you know, there was two Perot campaigns in 92. I'm right? talking about 92. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. But um, he dropped out and they came back in. Anyway. Right. My question is the first time he was like in the thirties, right? But you guys just sort of dismissed that as being too early, or but the con- we we bubbled up in a convention. We had a good convention. Okay, he went okay. up, he dropped out, then he decided to come back in. Okay, but, right, right. okay keep going. Sorry, the sorry. reason he came back in is because he said that Bush sent somebody to his daughter's wedding. How do you fuck up a Texas wedding? Throw up soap in a sedan. And- Throw them all up. Well, James and Al and Jim, um, didn't um, Seth Myers make fun of Donald Trump at the gridiron dinner, and that's why he ran for president or something like that? Anyway. It's very yeah. personal. Yeah. yeah. It's, all, it's all very personal. What, and I, I know you guys hate this. I hate it. But what what share are, you, are y'all seeing of the third party getting right now? Just jumble them all together, RFK, no labels, I don't know, whoever the fuck else is out there. But but where are you seeing the third party share about right now? In the Wall Street Journal poll, which asked multiple candidates, uh, it had Trump 37, Biden 31, and the rest were, you know, uh, I mean, there were a lot of undecided. Let me stop. Right. 10, in, 10 undecided. 
that leads about 15 to 20 in the multiple multi-party share. Now, we know that that shrinks t- traditionally over time. However, what's we're in a situation here where you've got two very unpopular candidates. So this does create an opening. I think Fred's absolutely right. It matters if they get on the ballot because <laughs> you can't vote for them if they're not there. But the the I think perhaps, James, your broader point is is the hunger for something else. And that hunger is there in a pretty sizable number. Uh, I, I can't believe these words are coming out of our mouth. An incumbent Democratic president, no matter how many people are running, is at 31. I mean, think, I mean, comprehend that. Where 40, you know, well, the Democrats going to start at, at 42 and Republicans going to start at 41. I, I saw that number in, in the Wall Street Journal poll. I, I have no reason to think it's anything other than a completely taken poll. That took my breath away. I, I mean, it really did. It, it, you're not the only one. Um, but I think it's, uh, uh, yeah, I think we want to put on some rose-colored glasses. It, it was a, it's a low point, hopefully. Um, and that, that, but you're right, it is a statement. It does mean something. Um, again, you would expect these multi-party candidate support to to drop over time. That's what we've seen historically. This is different because of the high disapproval or high unfavorable of, of Trump and Biden. Uh, but keeping them not making the ballot does, uh, kind of spread pointed out, is a pretty big uh, piece to it. So I think no, there's 12 states that aspire to be on 34. But Fred, yeah. we, we, let's hear from you on this. Yeah, Al, go ahead. No, no, I, I, you know, I, I think I think you've expressed your view on on the third party. Let me. I just want to ask both of you. I know we don't have much time left. By any fair historical measure, we are li- living in a really good economy. I mean, it is terrific. There was something called the misery index, which they used to say if it got to double digits, man, that's that's really bad for the for the uh, party in power. The misery index today, I think, is. The combination of unemployment and inflation is less than 7%. Inflation is coming down. There are a lot of well-paying jobs. But people don't think that. That's not what the voters think. Now, you talked about things being baked in. Is that baked in or is there a way to turn that around, assuming the economy continues to do well, which I think is likely? Start with, uh, start I, with I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's baked in. You don't? No, no. No, um, I mean, economic confidence in a weird way was um, positive during the pandemic, which seems weird. So, uh, no, I, I don't think I don't know. I look, I saw it on the news. Gas is below three dollars a gallon. I think most of us judge things by gas and groceries. I, I, no, no, Al, I don't I don't and I don't think it's baked in at all. I think I think the polarization of the country is baked in, but not economic attitudes. Yeah, and I I fully agree. I don't think the economic perceptions are baked in um, because people are going to continue to have experiences in their daily lives over the next ten months that uh, that that will inform their judgment. And there's 
various things that, you know, it's the cost of groceries, the cost of gas, whether they're able to go out and spend the money on the things that they want to do if their job is providing what they need to be able to to, to pay for things. Um, and one factor that's out there, and again, outside of our control, is interest rates. And if the Fed, it, you know, which indicated a possible reduction in interest rates in, in May, uh, that may happen in May, if that happens, there's it's not just the, it has multiple effects. And it's fascinating when you talk with voters and focus groups, they actually talk about interest rates and in ways that I hadn't necessarily thought of myself before is it, the ability to refi or to not even to refi, but to take out a home equity loan to pay for stuff that you want to pay for. If the interest rates come down, you're more inclined, you, you, you feel more comfortable doing that. But it's also the interest rates come down. Historically, the stock market goes up and people feel better off for those who have retirement savings, for those who are involved in, you know, who, who do have uh, money in uh, retirement money in, in the stock market. So I, it's, I don't think it's baked in, Al. I think it's partly out of our control. I think Biden needs to exude um, the, the positive campaign that he runs, needs to exude, uh, give people confidence that he can handle the economy. And that's the that's the challenge that he has. Give them that confidence that he's able to do that. If they're feeling better about things, they're going to be more inclined to accept that confidence that that he's trying to project uh, uh, in handling the economy. So, not baked in. I'll yeah. I know we're wrapping up. I'll I, I share a lot of the concerns that that James has. I think that we are a long way off, and that we have time to bake new things in and just, yeah, we'll, we're going to need people to be focused on their abortion rights as a way to get past a lot of these other concerns that they have that are holding us back right now. James Kerber, why don't you wrap up this fascinating conversation? Well, I, 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 you know, I do this program. I, I think with these two guys, it's kind of amazing to think that they're salty and it, experience now when I remember them is, you know, who's some alternative people I hadn't heard about that can vote for me. <laughs> but uh, I, I hope that our people that, that listen or view or whatever they do to this show understand what I thought was a, just a terrific conversation, no holds barred, you know, just a very frank assessment for where we are at this point. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think, think I feel somewhat better than I did two hours ago. And it takes a lot to move my needle. I'm not telling That's you for sure. a lot, but it moved a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> James, I, I appreciate that. Um, and I, I think, you know, hopefully, you know, um, you know, Jim and I don't shade the numbers, but, you know, providing right. more clarity or, um, or texture. But look, I always try to make sure when I, when I talk in general, that um, I'm trying to, I'm given the same vibe or take as if we were 10 points up or 10 points down. I do think um, even if we were kicking their ass, it's a very divided country, okay? And even if they're kicking their ass, it's gonna be a close election, okay? And Jim, um, we don't elect our president by the popular vote, as we painfully know. It's gonna come down to six states. And when I look at those states, Jim, and I know I'm polling at some of them and you guys are polling at some of them, it's very close. Okay. Now I always think back, James, to the, the Kentucky example where that poll that, and I'm sorry, it's, it's in my craw, um, that really put me down. I'm all, oh my gosh, this A minus pollster says we're going to lose by one point. 
and we won by five. And that was a poll taken four days before the election. We got a lifetime to go. And look, I'm not saying this to make fun of your mature wisdom. You guys have seen a lot, a lot more than Jim and I combined. I understand that, um, you know, these numbers look really bad, but I'm, I'm telling you, I think um, kind of like, um, you know, professional football has changed. Um, remember, James, I, I'm still young, old enough where I watch football games where some of the guys only um, had that single. <laughs> oh, God, don't believe that. <laughs> now, now they're like I'm George Bland. <laughs> <laughs> so things are the same, but they change. And I, I do think um, some of the numbers we've talked about, um, I, I think they're relevant, but I think they are less determinative than they have been in the past. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Uh, and I would uh, just say to you, Fred Yang, I'm going to tell Peter Hart that you noted he began polling in the 1960s. Uh, okay. uh, and Jim Gerstein, the only thing I can say to you is go blue. Uh, I, I go would blue. tell you about the Al Smith campaign. We just couldn't get above the Catholic thing. It killed us. <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, Happy, All right. Happy New Year to everybody. And, uh, Happy New Year to two. This is two of the great guests anybody could hope for, and you really have educated us, and you've made James Bill a little bit better. That is an incredible, incredible. Oh. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hey, James, college sports is in trouble. It's in trouble waters. But we are both fanatics, so let's celebrate before we start to worry or criticize. We just saw two of the, of the most exciting football games in the NCAA playoffs that I think we, can, we might ever witness. First, Michigan beat Alabama, two of these blue blood uh, organizations or universities. Uh, and, and it was I, Nick Saban actually outcoached Jim Harbaugh and made great adjustments at halftime. But at the very end, that incredible defensive line of Michigan's held. It was, a, it was an overtime. It was a stunning, stunning game. James, I'm going to make a confession. One of the reasons that I cheer for Michigan when I don't really have a, a dog in the fight, I just love to hear that fight song. That is the best college fight song in America. Notre Dame is awful good, but uh, Hail to the Concrete Heroes uh, is the best. Um, I think secondly, uh, the Washington Huskies in another great game beat Texas. 
James, before the, I'm a pretty good sports fan, as you know, before this game, I could not have named the Washington coach. But he is obviously a terrific and a worthy successor to the great Don James. Uh, I thought it was a great game. One bit of, con not concerning, but um, at least you ought to take note, uh, Steve Sarkinian has brought UT back. Texas is really loaded. They had a great year this year. Uh, they had a great recruiting class. Uh, they have a great future quarterback and one of the Mannings. And they're going to be joining the SEC next year. That's going to make your uh, league even tougher. Uh, who do you like? And me, you know, Michigan, Washington. I, I, I think it's a toss-up. But if, if if they want to set the odds at five points, uh, I'll take uh, I'll take Washington. How about you? Well, uh, first of all, Alabama. The basic play in football: every offensive play starts with a snap. If there's there's no other way to, to do an offensive play, they couldn't snap. I don't know how many drop snaps they had. Yeah. And, and this is an all-world, and you're right, all-coach. People in Louisiana, you know, mad at Nick Saban. No, I don't want to mad at Nick Saban. I want to beat Nick Saban. But that's got to drive him crazy that you, you're fumbling the, the most essential and basic play in football. If haven't said that, you're right, Michigan's offense stiffened up, and, you know, they won the game. It was a good bloodletting. Uh, Washington uh, you know, they beat Texas. They were actually kind of a better team. I, I, I would say a, a lot of college sports is in trouble. Some schools, it's not. I mean, the revenue is record. The, the uh, ratings for college sports have never been higher, uh, particularly for like sports like women's basketball, college baseball. Uh, these was the third highest ranked uh, semifinal playoff that I've ever had. And we're just going, we're used to operating in a one-tier system in college athletics. And because of the Supreme Court, I mean, you know, you, the NCAA had the power, but it said it was screwed up. So the Supreme Court probably, I, I guess, pretty hard to disagree with their reasoning. But that this, it's going to, college football is not going to be, you know, 100, 100 D1 schools and then something like that. It's, it's, just, it's just going in a different direction. And they got to do what they can to save the basketball. I mean, it's always going to be a great tournament. They always get they always get good numbers. People said, "Well, when it goes to you know freshman play and it's not like it used to be, they still draw. They make a shitload of money. I mean, they're not going anywhere." Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you when I why I I said trouble waters. I don't disagree with that financially. They may just do well. I miss some of the tradition. I used to love for years on Friday after Thanksgiving watching Oklahoma and Nebraska. There really isn't anything quite like that. If you're from Pennsylvania, Pitt and Penn State don't play anymore. So I miss that tradition. That doesn't have anything to do with the money, obviously. Uh, and the NCAA brought on all of this. There's no question of that. I mean, they are the culprits here. But let me tell you one story. Uh, Joe Manchin uh, is a very good friend of Nick Saban. They grew up in West Virginia, and they and they talk. He told me the other day that that Saban told him that he walked into a five star recruit's house, and the first thing the family said to him was, "So and so has offered a million. Can you top it?" Saban claims to Manchin he walked out. The coaches say it's just getting out of hand. What do they do about it? I mean, the bidding wars. Uh, yeah, they'll make a lot of money, uh, and I think the players should make money too. But uh, it, I, I really do think it's it's getting out of control. All right, so let's back up. There've been, there've been it's different levels of doing it, but it's been stories for other teams getting on probation. Look what happened to SMU. 
they're the death penalty. They will bind shit left and right. This is hardly something new. I think the story about Saban is probably true. I don't know Coach Saban to be anything other than a fierce competitor and an ethical guy. But you say, well, I don't get to watch Pitt and Penn State anymore. I look at the SEC 2024 schedule. Hey, you get to watch, you know, Georgia and Texas play. You get to watch Alabama and Oklahoma play. You get to watch, you know, LSU and Ole Miss play. I mean, look at all and look at the, the Big Ten. Look at the matchups that are coming in with Washington and Oregon. I mean, yeah, so you, and by the way, Texas and Texas A&M, they're back every year. But which was a which was a pretty damn big football game. So you're right. You don't get to see Oklahoma and Nebraska, but Nebraska's not that good anymore. But you don't have to see Oklahoma and Iowa State, or Oklahoma and Kansas State, uh, uh, or Texas Kansas, or Texas Texas Tech. You you're gonna watch these really good teams. I, there's like twelve like appointment television SEC regular season games. Well, that's for just great for you fans. But you know, it's it's you know there are a lot of there are people that are losing things. It's a qualitative, not a not a quantitative thing. And uh, you know, at, at some point, there's going to be further consolidation. Uh, it's all about money. And uh, I think the other thing that's creating problems, and this is coming from the savings of the world, not the coaches who are just crybabies. Uh, this transfer portal is just crazy now. And there was a there's a there's an organization called Newsbreak. I don't. I never read them before, but they did a really interesting survey. They looked at those hundreds of players who went on the transfer portal. You know what? Most of them didn't have a very satisfactory outcome. And uh, so I think in that sense, those those kids are being badly served. But OK, I'll take all your points, but let's just ban the use of the word student athletes. This has nothing to do with students. It's a business. It's a successful. It's a popular one. And let's just acknowledge that. I don't have any problem acknowledging that. But look at all that you're gaining now. But again, I go back and you you look at the regular season schedule. I mean, they got some some awesome games. And, you, you know, you see September, October, November. And you're seeing meaningful real. Now you're right. It's it's, it's all concentrated in, in 30 schools. But it, you also look up in, in the transfer stuff. They, they were transferring during the bowl. Now one of the things that's going to be gone are these crappy bowls, and I, people are not interested in them anymore. Well, they they all right. turned into gimmick games. We're going to 12 12 team college playoff. Uh, I, I mean, the the, the it, it, when you talk about Nikki Haley, let me tell you. She messed up on the slavery thing. When she called Caitlin Clark, Caitlin Collins in Iowa, that's more damaging than the slavery thing oh, was in New Hampshire. That's a right? I mean, Mary and I were at the University of Iowa last April during the women's Final Four. And those people, high school basket, women's basketball in Iowa has been a tremendous sport forever. They really support that. That was a, the, the press. That, that, that's what cracks me up. The, they get the headline stuff, but that was a major. You know, that's like going to Alabama and saying Nick Simpson is the is the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. I did when I saw that. I went, oh God, that was a real screw up. Don Kerry went to Wisconsin and caught at Lombardi Field. Well, I think we, I don't think anything is going to change our, uh, our love of sport. Uh, I, 
There are things that bother me and I worry about. I mean, after all, these are, are games being played by university institutions. And uh, if it's if it's good for the university, fine. I worry it's getting to the point where it, it may not be. But uh, I'll watch well, the game. That's, that's the transfer report. There have to be some rules about when they do it. But I, how do you tell a 19-year-old so that they would recruit and they would stack up good players? So Joe Burrow, we got in a transfer report. Jaden Daniels, we got in a transfer report. All right, the two Heisman Trophy winners. I mean, you, you can say that other people like screwed up, but Joe Burrow was never going to start a game at Ohio State. He turned out to be arguably. No, I think they're good ones. I think those are obviously good ones. But again, if you look at this Newsbreak survey, they are the exceptions, uh, not the rules. And let me tell you, I am all for the transfer rules. If a if a if a piano player, uh, sophomore in college can transfer. Uh, if a chemistry major can transfer, then a football or basketball or baseball player ought to be able to transfer. So I'm not against the transfer for a rule. I'm just saying I think some of these kids are being... Uh, I think uh, so. They it, 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 it were transferring through. during the bowl season. It's like anything else. There's a recruiting season, okay? Right. You can recruit anybody, but the, the, I'm sure that it's in their interest, and I'm sure they can adjust this and improve it. But they're not going to go back to the fact where you can't transfer. I don't want to go back to that, but I don't like that. I mean, I agree with you. The Bulls are a travesty. But even some of the bigger teams had about half their players, uh, you know, either sitting out because they're going to the NFL or sitting out because they're transferring. I mean, no the, one. The backup quarterback, the reason that 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 uh, young young Mr. Manny, Arch Manny, was the backup, uh, he's going to be a great quarterback someday, was because the backup quarterback had transferred to Duke. Now, you know, I'm, I'm for the transfer, but, you know, there ought to be, they got to set something. I, I think there will be some, 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 there needs to be windows. Let's put it that way. All right. You got to yeah. be, you got, you, you got a window for, for, for recruiting. You can't, you can't sign them. You got the early signing day and I don't know right. shit and more rules. And, and they, they can, they can fix that. But, it, you know, when, it, when these, when these really good teams like the Alabamas of the world, Ohio State's the world. They just stack these talented athletes like cardboard so no one else can get them, and you shouldn't sign that. But anyway, it's 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 interesting discussion. Who do you like in the uh, championship game next Monday? I guess I'm kind of pulling for Washington. Why? Because if if if, if my team is not in there, I, I pull for the perceived underdog. I, I don't know why Washington be a. It's a great the two great universities, great academic institutions. Both of them have, and I'm not, you know, as a diehard SEC fan, I'm not that, I'm fine with this game. I mean, we've been there nine out of 10 times, and these are two marquee brands, and I'm looking forward to the game. But I'm, I'm, I guess I'll, I'll wait and see who I bet on. But I, I generally, you know, if it's Notre Dame versus anybody else, I generally will pull for anybody else. But, you know, if Ohio State's playing Indiana, I pull for Indiana. What can I say? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, Novak used to pick his kind both betting and favoritism based on the ideology of the state. Uh, so, yeah. therefore, if Mississippi uh, was playing Michigan, he'd automatically cheer for Mississippi. <laughs> I can't. I, that, that, I, I mean, I, that's crazy. That's um, I, I, I just, look, I the other thing is, I think the Michigan quarterback is good, and I think the Washington quarterback is great. And that guy, I tell you what, a, man, it's a wonderful. 
That's he another wonderful portal transfer story. Yeah. Uh, and getting, let's just for a minute, uh, James, talk about the NFL. Uh, I think I said last week, I was pretty confident who was going to be in the championship game three weeks ago. Then I changed my mind two weeks ago. Then I changed my mind a week ago. I don't know where I am right now. And if someone came and said, you know what, Uh, I'm going to give you, you know, a thousand bucks if you just tell me who you think is going to win the NFL uh, Super Bowl. Man, I I would just I'd roll the dice. I still secretly think that Kansas City is underrated. They've had a bad season. But with the, the best quarterback in football, I think they could rise to the occasion. But I don't know. I, I just think I, this is as uncertain uh, territory as I think I've ever seen. I, I wish I would have bookmarked this article, but I, I know I read it. You know, you get old. Sometimes you're just less than certain. You know, it's always like in baseball, you have a hot, you come in yeah. playoffs hot. That helps a lot. In, in football, I was surprised that a lot of the teams that have won the Super Bowl were not that hot toward the end of the year. Now, when they have it since they don't play everybody, it, 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 it's a little different. Uh, you, you certainly look at where you are now, and you say, well, gee, it's going to be uh, Baltimore and San Francisco. I mean, it looks like they, they're the two hottest teams going into it, but my, my guess is, I don't know what it's going to be. It's probably not going to be these two, but I, I have no, no idea. It's, it, it, but it's an exciting playoff. It's always fun. Uh, you know, it's a good time of year. The basketball starting starting to heat up on every level. So This, is, this, this is among the greatest two or three weeks of television oh. watching uh, around. Baltimore, I, I, I like the Ravens, too, because they've got the good Harbaugh. Uh, as their coach, uh, who's also done a heck of a job. You know, James is an aside. I don't know where I saw this the other day, but it was a story on the Steelers. And the Steelers, over the course of, I think I have this right, almost six, over 60 years, have had three coaches. Three coaches in 60 years. Hell, Dan Snyder, uh, you know, had would have three coaches within a day. And those three coaches all had incredibly successful winning records, over 60%. I think they won, you know, six Super Bowls. I mean, when you talk about great organizations, there's none better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, the Roonies are just an awesome family, and they are Pittsburgh. It's a community team. Uh, A guy that owns, you know, the commanders of Josh, whatever, right? He's yeah. probably a great guy or anything, but it's not a like a. I don't know of a team. Uh, maybe the, you know, the Packers always about the houses and the Bears, but they don't have that same thing. The, the Steelers have just ingrained, and they have really got an outstanding franchise over a long, long period of time. Yeah. They're one of my favorite, and I, I like any team. I'm, this is I'm partial to. I like a team. That whose nickname has some local origin. I don't like the Los Angeles Rams. Okay, that's something. It just doesn't. The Arizona Cardinals, uh, or you know, the, the Detroit Tigers. I much prefer the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, the Minnesota Twins. The, you know, the Saints, if you will. It. it I like a. I like what has a identification with the with the local area. I like the Seventy Sixers much better than the Eagles as a nickname. Well, yeah. I, it makes me feel better about cheering for Michigan because I love their fight song. Uh, that's just, just Wolverine, I guess, is 
<laughs> you know, uh, well, I, I, no, I don't care about the nickname, but I got to um, love that fight song. Um, when that Michigan band comes on the field playing Hail to the to Conquering Heroes, it's as good as it gets. Um, I, you know, I would just say you're right about these other organizations, the Bears and, and certainly the, the, the Packers. It's a, you know, a, a, an own, it's a community-owned team in many ways. But they haven't had the, re- the the success of the Steelers over the no. 60 years. No. They've had great moments. I mean, Lombardi years were unbelievable. There's right. been a long time. But if you look at this, I think they've had about three losing seasons in 60 years. So I, anyway, I, I, I love I love their ownership. I I, I, I love their 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 mascot, I guess, whatever you call it. You know, the Steelers. I think it's just it speaks and. I like Pittsburgh. I, I, I like. I do too. I do too. When you go out to that stadium, too, there all those there, you know, little roads or little lanes there named after former Steeler greats. You know, Franco Harris or Terry Bradshaw. Uh, it's just a, you know, in the history of advertising, has there ever been a greater commercial than the Mean Joe Green Coke mm. commercial? I just like. Oh, so I the guy that did that, it was Scott Miller. He was at Sawyer Miller, Mandy Grawley's work at Jack Leslie. And I asked him, what was it like to do an ad for Coca-Cola? And he said, it's like anything like a political ad. You show it to the CEO and you ask the secretary to come in. He said, what do you think it is? <laughs> now I'm short. A little more sophisticated. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll cheer for the Steelers and we'll cheer for a great game on Monday. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hey, James, you're not going to believe this, but the crazy right-wing Republican Lauren Boebert has changed congressional districts, leaving her heavy, heavily Republican district to go to another Republican district. Now, you probably think there is a this is because of something that the family values congresswoman uh, was upset about. No, you know what it really was about? It was about she was caught vaping and groping her date during a showing of Beetlejuice. Hey, you know, that's a great family values thing. But but she had an explanation. It had nothing to do with that. It was that Barbara Streisand and Ryan Reynolds were trying to drive her out of political office. Can you imagine that? Now, let me just explain this. This is a district that in Colorado, they're probably probably contenders will spend ten to fifteen million dollars. Streisand gave Adam Frisch, her opponent, who had been a guest on this show, a thousand bucks. Ryan Reynolds gave him five hundred dollars. You know, I hate to tell you, um, Congresswoman, but I don't think Streisand and Bobert had much to do uh, with your pitiful standing. I think maybe even in that new district that vaping and groping in public uh, ain't going to help you a lot. Well, she went to primaries. I've looked it up. It's a R plus 13, so it's highly unlikely 
that a Democrat can win that district. And yeah, well, I just, question, about, Jim, just to back up for a minute, the key question is, can Adam Frisch still win? I think yes. Now, I was surprised that Dave Wasserman changed it from a toss-up to a lean R just because it's so Republican. But Frisch is a good candidate. He's a very good candidate. I, I, I did some stuff on him. The problem is he's from Aspen. Mm-hmm. Okay, which you, you couldn't be. But he's, you know, he really, he's got a pickup truck. He goes around. I, 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 I got to tell you, I kind of agree with Wasserman. I think he's got a much, now you don't know who he could get. He could get somebody. Right. Potentially, if you could find anybody worse than Bo, but 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 if you're the D Triple C, Bobert's move, you would say is not helpful. Or you'd have much rather stay in that third district because you were going to win that one for sure. It's not going to make much difference, right? Right, and and they, they, you know, there's some chance that they could nominate somebody new, and 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 if you just kind of was a jump ball in Colorado third, the Republican could win it. Wasn't going to be a jump ball with her. Well, I think you're right, James. I would just say that I think, you know, Bober had a huge following in that district. I mean, among Republicans. And I, it seems to me whoever emerges if from I, the primary is going to be a, a Bober like person. Yeah, and that may be true. But yeah, who knows? Trump is going to, the, 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 the problem is in a general election, if you're a Bober diehard, you're a Trump diehard. Yeah. So if you don't have, I, 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 I just to say, I, I don't know who they're going to run, but I do think that her trying to run the other district decreases the chances of the Democrat winning that seat. But I don't know about how much and maybe at the end of the day, not very much. Uh, but he was going to beat her. That's for sure. And I'm a little reluctant to criticize somebody for moving in another district because, you know, like Lucy McBath did the same thing in Georgia. So, you know, to be careful what you wish for. James, I'm not either. I, I when I was when I was uh, making I know, fun of claiming that Streisand and Ryan Reynolds were the right. Reason. You did, you were very precise and clear, and nothing that you write it didn't. It, it's funny they couldn't get George Soros in there. Boy, I'm sure she tried. I, I'm sure that some Soros affiliated something or another gave two hundred fifty dollars to the Colorado Democratic. Yeah. I mean, I'm all I am is surprised that they could. You know, they they didn't get Soros in there. Some yeah. Way back, you know. Yeah. It shows that maybe Bobert's losing a step ever so slightly. That's what vaping will do to you. That's what they'd tell me. I don't know if she was, <laughs> it was quite a performance at Beatles. You got anything that outrages you, James? You know, I, I, in The Godfather, Michael Corleone says, How do you get out of this business? And how do I get out of the business of making fun of moms for liberty? Because they're so, they're not, they're, they're power mad, duplicitous, hypocrites. But I got to give credit to Josh Marshall, who's like, he's really covered this. You know, Bloor Bucks, you know, Dollstown. The Clarice Schillinger, you got to look this up. Now, we know about Miss Ziegler. In, in, in Sarasota, jumping in a pile when she was one of the founders for, for Moms for Liberty, and they very, very much against homosexuality. And the Moms for Liberty, the Pennsylvania lead person, hosted a, a drunken party for high school teenagers where they were taking shots, and one of them tried to leave, and she slugged some kid, all right? 
Now, we can't, we've got to burn every book about every gay person or every black person or every, everything. And she's sitting there feeding these teenagers booze and, and then slugging them in the, in, in the face. I mean, you, you, you just can't beat this stuff, man. They cannot stop themselves from the massive hypocrisy that they engage in. It's unbelievable. I think that's a great story. Florida may even be greater because it's a husband-wife team. Anytime you got, you know, three people, it's a great story. But <laughs> it, it is so – the Democrats need to really – People don't like this book burning stuff. They don't like it at all. They're all vested in this. They, they, and by the way, they have a lot of money. But remember, they won all these school board seats in in 2021. Of course, they lost a slew. They of lost them. a bunch. Yeah, yeah. right. And and we got to make. And why we don't make their candidates stand up and defend this book burning or, or this exclusionary stuff? Because people by and large, can't stand it. And they know it's crazy. They know it's wrong. And a lot of these Democratic politicians don't want to, you know, uh, get 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 involved in this. And it's a winning freaking issue. It's a winning issue. Be against book burning. All right? It, yeah. There's no downside to it. Any book burner is not going to vote for you anyway. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay. Right. Hey, James, we're going to kick off the first show of the new year with some terrific questions from our terrific audience. The first one comes from Howard in South Orange, New Jersey. He's, he's, this is a difficult question. He said, President Biden's policies and actions concerning the southern border. What is the policy? What actions are being taken? And, and how can Biden, turn, if not turn this around, neutralize uh, this this political albatross. Well, I, I, I don't. The, the, the administration and I, I, I clearly think that President Biden's done a lot of remarkable things. The one thing they don't do is they don't explain very well. Oh boy! And I, I, now I, I don't. I'm not a border expert, right? But if you want to alleviate the problem of southern border, I will give you something that will cut it by 80%. 7% unemployment. You will never tell me that these people who are struggling with gangs and poverty and violence and everything see that there's a wide open labor market in the United States and that does not induce them to come here. And I'm surprised that some right-wing economist has not, you know, done a thing between jobs and immigration, because I, 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 I'm not an economist, I'm not sophisticated in statistics, but I guarantee you this has got something to do with it. There have been some good studies on that, James. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I, I somehow recall an economics professor professor at AU, but I'm not sure of that. But you're, you're dead right. There's, a, of course, a great cause and effect. So, you know, just I'd, I'd love to have people like your friend Mike Johnson say, you want 7%? We'll get rid of all those. Uh, right. Right. But, but I mean, like people, and let me tell you something. 
I have I, I read these stories about these these mothers with a ten and a six year old walking from Guatemala to the southern border. That's a let me tell you, but they got to be a way to get this lady in the country. All right, I'm sorry. You're a motivated person when you 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 walk that far to get here, and I, I you know, I I know it, it's chaos. I, some of the numbers you see are are, are utterly mind boggling, and I, I I think it's a political problem for us. But let me tell you, it would be the biggest political problem you could have if you had a hundred people a day trying to get in this country. That would tell you no one wants to come here. And at the end of the day, you always want to live in a country people are trying to get in as opposed to a country people are trying to get out. And James, let me ask you, how could they have rebuilt your city of New Orleans uh, without uh, immigrants? Any, you're kidding me. So do you think that there is a single roofer from Matamoros, which is at the tip of South Texas, through Key West, which is the whole Gulf of Mexico. You think there's a roofer that was like born in America? You think that Florida coming back from that terrible storm they had in 2022? I, I, I mean, you know, you you, you you know about it. You know it's a problem. You know that they, they, they're trying to hold up legislation. You Biden, I, I'd be fine. Might have been a little bit of sleep at the switch in this. I, I, I don't know. They don't do a very good job of articulating what they're doing, why they're doing it, or what they need to do. But, you know, Senator Murphy, you know, a really good friend of this show, is, is the lead negotiator, along with Senator Langston, by the way, who's been a, a guest on this show. And he's I mean, got good intentions. They, they are the two leads here. And I, I, I'm to the extent that they can bring anybody along, I think Senator Murphy and Senator Langston can come up That's with a fact that right. can be helpful here, you know. So, but let, yeah. let's now you got to get the shit through the house, and it's 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 there's a lot to do. But I have a lot of confidence in the, the two senators that are trying to hammer something out here. But you know, if I if I'm a Republican, I'm telling the you know you don't want this. This is a good issue for us, and and it is a good issue for the Republicans. Yeah, it is. You know, Dave in Seattle, Washington, he asked a question that really flows from some of what you just said. Uh, Dave wants to know, what does the Biden team need to do to overhaul or reinvigorate its communications team? I hear a lot and observe how poorly they are doing and at communicating and the contrast with Trump. Who do they need to bring in to kick butt on communications? Dave, there may be a couple people you could bring in. And I don't why wouldn't give a very high marks to their communications team. But, you know, in the same situation, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, or Ronald Reagan would be doing a lot better. Joe Biden just is not a natural communicator, uh, particularly now that he's 81. And you can bring in the best person in the world, but they're not going to be able to, to, to do it all. Now, that's not to totally uh, absolve them. They had in this administration for two years... Uh, someone who I think James uh, has said from the beginning is as good a political communicator as there is in America, and that is Mitch Landrieu, and they didn't use him. I mean, you know, they used him in a little market somewhere, but you didn't get any sense. He could have done something that Joe Biden can't do. It could have helped. Uh, so I don't think bringing anyone is going to make a difference right now, James. Okay, so that, that, that there's three people that need to bring in and turn this around. They are as follows. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> are they available? I don't know. I called them, but they said they were busy. But but it maybe would, you know, maybe they can get them in after Easter or something. Look, I don't know. I, I'm impressed that you got through. 
Right. So, so it, right, but it's not just Mitch. It, 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 uh, Secretary Gina Commerce. I mean, some of the people they have are, are, are really, really uh, stunningly good communicators. Grant Holmes, because she's great. But I mean, I don't know how you use it, but Tony Blinken is a pretty damn good. Yeah. Pretty good. I mean, they, they have some cabinet people that can, but it, I, I don't know why. They've chosen to keep the cabinet people very under wraps. I, 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 you know, given Biden's, shall we say, challenges in communication, it looked like they would be flooding his own with them. I, I know the people around him. I some of them I have a, a lot a, a lot of respect for. It's you know, just hard to overcome the obstacle of a guy being eighty-one. Yeah. I, I, you know, you can pivot as I said before. You you can pivot to the center. You can pivot to the right. You can pivot to the left. You know, you you, you can introduce ethics legislation, but you, you can't. You just no way you can make yourself younger. Yeah, I just think they have a a challenge that. It is really, 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 really tough for him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, James Sean in Mesa, Arizona, asked, is it legal for a group uh, of Americans to donate billions of dollars to Ukraine and Israel to support their war efforts? Is it legal? Yeah, I think it's legal. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I mean, we've been supporting countries for different things for, forever. I don't, I, I, I mean, think he's I'm, talking about individuals. I think, I, I think like, is it wise? All right, let, let's not get hung up on one word, because I think whoever asked the question, if, to my knowledge, I mean, you, I'm, I'm racking my brain. I don't think there's anything illegal about it. We've been sending aid to Israel since 1979. And individuals have been donating money to Israel. Right, right. And, 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 and it's God Almighty. If, I, I mean, if you look at the amount of individual money that goes to, to Greece from the United States that people send back, you yeah. can't believe how much art that goes back in remittances to Mexico. But but I, I think the, the question, let's try to question, is it wise? And, of course, the thing is always, well, we got problems at home. You know, we got to, and I don't, I don't, I don't mean to bring this up, but how many problems did the United States have in the 1930s at home? And, you know, and we, we got through World War One. we didn't want to get involved and it was clearly understandable. You know, remember Germany invaded Poland, invaded Scandinavia, invaded France. Uh, uh, it actually invaded the Soviet Union, invaded the, the the low countries, invaded the Balkans. We didn't do anything. We only got involved after the the, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and Hitler declared war on us. We did not declare war on Hitler. So, and, and you know, Franklin Roosevelt obviously knew what was going on, but he couldn't move because of American public opinion. He now, did a job in getting the British ready, though. I'm more ready. At least he went around it. Yep. He figured out how to do it, give, give him a notion. But understand, all of that took place. And politically, he could not do it. And we did not, Germany declared war on us. We didn't declare war on Germany. So, 19, 1939, James, there was a, the biggest rally ever in Madison Square Garden. Oh, Who God. was it? It was the Nazis. 
Right. And they had a camp out on Long Island. Right. right. I, I mean, they, they were everywhere. They were a political power. Yeah. They were literally, I mean, there was a lot of sympathy for the Germans. And, you know, in, you know, World War One, you know, the lost generation, you know, a combination of that. But, man, it, it, you know, if, these, if you're not involved in these problems, and you know, it's going to be kind of clumsy, but they're going to come back and bite you on the butt. Yeah, they sure are. James Richard in Walbrass, Maine. Oh, wow. I, I love the state of Maine. I've never heard of Walbrass, but I'm going to find out about it. Uh, I'll bet you uh, Angus King can uh, have some stories about Walgrass, Maine. But anyway, he says, what can we Democrats who live a fairly normal life and are really pretty good people do to make Republicans happy and vote for our candidate? Richard, man, that is one daunting task. First of all, Walgrass may be different because Maine's different. But in so many places, Republicans and Democrats aren't talking to each other. Uh, so uh, I, I, I'm so glad that you're with people who are pretty good people and pretty happy. And I hope you somehow can get through to some of those, you know, Republicans, at least on the margins, who might be persuadable. So I was reading something, and I know I've read this. Do you know that Maine's population is increasing faster than any other state? Is it really? Yeah. I got, they said that was a, what are these things? Now, it could be erroneous. It could be some freaking clickbait. You never know. But it seemed like a pretty authoritative site. And they said everybody's talking about what's that. Now, it has a smaller population. I'll tell you another thing about Maine. I don't know of a state with that few people that has produced that many stunningly talented politicians. Oh, my God, yes. I, I mean, when you look at Pennsylvania, your home state, Pennsylvania got to be 10 times more than 10, 12, 13 times we, bigger than in Maine. Pennsylvania. We have never had a legitimate, really big time national candidate. And going. And if you look at people that even weren't candidates that were just massively influential in American politics that came out of Maine. Go back to Joshua Chamberlain. Chamberlain, Margaret Chase Smith. Right. I mean, uh, George I mean, Mitchell, Ed Mitchell. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's just stunning. Thing, thing to King. By the way, I love the governor up there, Janet Mills. She's feisty and, yeah, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of crusty. And, and I think they are, next to Louisiana, they're the most Acadians in Maine, maybe the other state. I was told Governor Mills to go up there and campaign with her in northern Maine. They got a lot of French-speaking people there. But for some reason, that state, as much as any state in the country, like really punches above its weight. Uh, I, I love I love Maine. I love going there. It can get a little rough in the winter, uh, but uh, oh, anyway, you know it's, it's like us in the summer. You know, we always say it keeps the riffraff out. <laughs> Barry <laughs> in, in in Canton, Michigan, says, "What will it take to get working class Americans to realize that Republicans and Trump are using them?" Oh, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. So. The the way that we typically go about it is we send out a man on the street, people, and he goes in a diner and interviews people who say really stupid stuff. And we run a column in the New York Times and say, why can't people see what's, what's right in front of them? And, of course, I just make some dig in. 
what you have to do, I think, is tell people, I understand why you did this. I understand that you feel forgotten. And you know what? There's, there's legitimate reasons for, for you to feel this way. And Trump came along and he, he noticed you. He talked to you. He acknowledged you. And you know what else he did? He betrayed you. You have, you can't start out and say, look, you stupid shit. You know what this rapist criminal has done to your, you know, don't you realize how dumb you ever were for thinking that he could do anything for you in the first place? They're gone. You lose it. And that's for late night TV. All right. That, that's what that's, that's what that's good for. But if you try, if you want to switch these people's vote, you have to like give them some sympathy. And I see why you did this. And, and we have, we're going to talk about this in the show. With, with, with Fred and Jim, we have terrible problems with our base and turnout. So if we get one voter in Philadelphia who is going to be a Democrat, he comes out vote, we get plus one. We switch one Trump voter in, in Green or Washington, you know, the, uh, or Dolphin, we get two votes. And it, you know, it, it's hard, but the way to do this is not to call people stupid and say, you didn't see this guy for what he was. If you thought he was something, I don't blame you. You believe this, and then look what he did. I am very, very big on this strategy. And every time I see it, and MSNBC does a lot of this, and I think it's stupid as shit. To, and I know sometimes you get frustrated and you say, how can you be so dumb? But that, that's not going to, not, you're not going to get any converts like that. You're just going to get a sense of moral superiority. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. If you insult people, you're not likely to convert that's them. Not, yeah, how could you be so stupid? Right, right. You no, know, I can see why you did that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who, who couldn't see that? And, you know, he, he talked a good game, and then look what he did. And then yeah. everybody. Story is Final question actually builds on that, and that's from Steve in Madison, Wisconsin. Why do Democrats always argue logically and calmly with reason? It doesn't seem to break through. Why can't we be more emotional and give as good as we get? Well, it, 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 emotion is a key part of any message. We shouldn't look at reason and emotion in in. Democrats have a sense of doing this. Uh, highly educated coastal progressives, academics have a way of doing this. We have reason and we have emotion. You know, emotion is part of reason. Can you name me? You said you like Michigan football because you like hail to the conquering victors. What is that? Emotion. If you listen to the Marine Corps hymn, what the fuck is that? Emotion. All right? If, if you see the rainbow. Heck, it's fly, even, you know, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Right. Greatest song in the history of the English language. Right. And so, so what we do as Democrats is we tend to think that reason and emotion are in conflict. So we think that emotion is beneath our communication. No, 
emotion is part of what we do. Name a university that doesn't have an alma mater, a country that doesn't have an anthem. And by the way, they, they had a swastika. They had a hammer and sickle. All right. They use emotion, too. Yeah. And we are contemptuous of emotion. We, I said we, not you and I, but but so many people, you, you know, you could see it in, in there was just, it's, and I, I don't want to get into this Harvard pen shit. All right. But there was no like, feistiness, no preparation, no, yeah. let me tell you what this university means. This is why I'm here. It was like you would piss off three quarters of the Harvard faculty if you actually were kind of emotional about the university. And it, it, I, the, the, the two questions, these are two of my favorite questions I've ever got in the history of this whole goddamn show. And I think well, I'm asking the right question. That's a good way to end this question segment and keep them coming because we rely on you because you make us think you ask good questions and uh, uh, we really appreciate it. You know how to do a comeback. If we didn't get to you this week, we'll get to you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicom. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Henson Shaving and Z-Biotics, and our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting them because when you do, it helps make this podcast happen. Now, to keep up with us, subscribe to Politics World Rum on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also find other shows you might enjoy on the Puticon YouTube channel or when you search Puticon on your favorite podcast sites. Now, remember, please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning. And we hope your new year is off to a great start, as good as the Michigan Wolverines and the Washington Huskies. 